The moment court opens this morning, Elon Musk is reportedly going to destroy left-wing cancel mob and Michael Knowles publicist, Media Matters, with facts and lawsuits. The promise from Musk follows a report from Media Matters last week alleging that X, formerly known as Twitter, is serving up mainstream corporate ads next to neo-Nazi content. Booga, booga, booga. Very scary. The biggest corporations in the country immediately took the bait. Apple, IBM, Disney, Warner Brothers Discovery, Comcast, NBC Universal, Lionsgate, Paramount Global, all announced they were pulling ad money from the platform. Here's the report. Very scary. It looked like Media Matters had won. They had finally caught Elon with his pants down until Elon pulled up the back-end data and discovered that Media Matters had made the whole thing up. According to the actual X logs, of the 5.5 billion ad impressions that were served the day that Media Matters conducted its research, fewer than 50, not 50 million, not 50, 50, 5-0, were served alongside the content highlighted by Media Matters. The data showed that for one, quote, brand showcased in the article, two of its ads served adjacent to two posts three times, and that ad was only seen in that setting by one user, the author of the Media Matters article. In other words, the whole thing was a hoax. Media Matters made a bunch of dummy accounts and then gamed the algorithm relentlessly until they could get even a handful of examples to back up its fraudulent claim, all of which prompted Musk to declare, quote, The split-second court opens on Monday. X-Corp will be filing a thermonuclear lawsuit against Media Matters and all those who colluded in this fraudulent attack on our company. Now, I am torn. On the one hand, Musk is obviously right. And frankly, we've all known that Media Matters and the other left-wing cancel groups, the ADL, Right Wing Watch, all the rest of them, have been pulling this sort of fraud for years. This is what they do. But on the other hand, I love the free publicity that Media Matters gives me. I love it. There are at least two Media Matters employees who are paid to watch my show and then clip out and promote the best segments from my show. They do it better than the Daily Wire employees do a lot of the time. It's faster. It's before my show's over, they've got the clips up. But I am willing to put my selfish desires aside for the good of the country. If it wasn't clear before, it should be now. Elon's buying Twitter was a complete game changer for conservatives. It gave us our first foothold into the big tech platforms that control our public square. Elon is taking a lot of slings and arrows for us, but the foothold seems to be working and scaring the libs to death. And they're scared because they know that big tech censorship was indispensable to their rigging of the 2020 election. And if 2024 is a rematch, as it's looking like it will be, then their inability to censor conservatives this time around might, might just cost them the election. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show.
Welcome back to the show. It's finally here. The best deal of the year. 50% off new Daily Wire Plus annual memberships. Go to dailywire.com slash subscribe right now to join. Kanye West has a new song. We'll get to it. But first, I don't want to move on quite yet from these radical libertarian uh, wrenches in the left-wing system that govern us. Not not just uh, Elon Musk, but also the soon-to-be president of Argentina, Javier Millet, who no one really knows anything about, but I think a lot of people, especially on the right, realize uh, represents a major change in Argentina and a change that is positive and a, and a lurching to the right. Here is just one clip from Mr. Millet. I'll translate, because you can't give SHIT leftards an inch. Can you define SHIT leftist? The interviewer asks. All collectivists, all kinds of collectivists. But why do you call them SHIT? Because they are SHIT. If you think differently from them, they will kill you. This is the point. You can't give SHIT leftists an inch. If you give them an inch, they will use it to destroy you. You can't negotiate with leftards. Oh my goodness. You don't negotiate with trash because they will end you. That's this guy. When he won, he just starts like jumping around the stage. He's got crazy looking hair. He is very much a Trumpian figure in the looks, in the bombastic language, in the political program. He has a more right-wing populist kind of agenda that not issue for issue, but almost issue for issue, maps onto Trump, which is great. It's good news for Argentina. But you, you know, it's, it's just not in the conservative ethos to, to just jump for joy and be totally happy and say the future is going to be bright. It's not, we always need a little wrinkle in there, okay? We can, and here's the little wrinkle, is that you could describe Javier Millet as a radical right-wing conservative, I guess. But you could probably more accurately describe Javier Millet as a radical liberal. He's a radical libertarian. He has certain eccentric political views. Uh, he's he's wrapped philosophic about the benefits of tantric sex and orgies and things like that. He has uh, described using media, media meaning like the plural of mediums, like psychic mediums to communicate with dogs and he's he's described channeling the spirits of Ayn Rand and so he, I, I don't mean any of this to knock him okay I just want to point out he's not this isn't going to be the reestablishment of the Holy Roman Empire over here he's a radical libertarian and that is preferable to some radical progressive leftist but it's not quite the same thing as a traditionalist conservative okay and if you look around the the political environment, a radical libertarian might be the, the first step that we need. We might not have a whole lot of other options here, okay? I don't think we're going to have a Jacobite rising and the restoration of, you know, the old regime in France or anything like that, okay? We might, th- this might be the best that we can get. Javier, Javier Millet is really good on abortion, it seems. He's really good on crime. He's really good on uh, economic uh, flourishing, 
He's, he's an economist by trade. He's really good on recognizing threats from the political left. He's really good on inspiring the people, bringing the people in, you know, that deplorable, irredeemable hoi polloi that the leftists hate. He brings them into a popular political movement. One hopes that his election heralds good things for the future, just as the Brexit in the UK was a sign, augured very well and made it seem as though uh, Donald Trump might be elected, and then he was elected in 2016. Perhaps Millet's election in 2023 in Argentina shows good signs for 2024 in the United States. But when you look at all the really big right-wing wins, they tend to come from more libertarian-minded people. Uh, Javier Millet was asked about homosexuality, and there there are other right right-wing strongmen, you know, in in Latin America who have had clearer views on family, on the complementarity of the sexes, on tradition and social order. Someone like Jair Bolsonaro, who said, no, we're not going to be encouraging pride parades. Let's put it that way. And Millet is not one of those. Millet seems to be totally fine with some of the aspects of the sexual revolution, in much the same way that Trump is. You know, don't forget, Trump was the most pro-LGBT candidate ever to run for office, I think in either party. He was more pro-LGBT during his race in 2016 than Barack Obama was during his first race. So I, I, I just don't want us celebrating too much, okay? I, I love that Malay was elected. I'm, I, I think it bodes well for Argentina and for the world. But I'm not going to say three cheers for Javier Malay yet. I'm going to say two cheers for Javier Malay. And we'll see what happens if, if he's got a kind of social conservatism to him, he's clearly got an opposition to the radical leftists. But can we, can we channel this, this reaction against collectivism? Can we channel this reaction against the leftist lunatics, the, the in Javier Millet's words, SHIT libtards or whatever he, leftards that he calls them? Can we channel that popular sentiment into a profound and enduring uh, coherent conservatism. I hope so. We'll have to see. Now, one thing that those radical libertarians love is gold. So you got to check out Birch Gold. Right now, text Knowles to 989898. We are facing the threat of a potential government shutdown, and the administration will ultimately deal with it the same way they always do, with more spending. More spending will inevitably devalue the dollar. Protect your savings by diversifying into gold with the help of Birch Gold Group. When you open an IRA with Birch Gold, for every $10,000 you spend by December 22nd, Birch Gold will send you a free gold bar. Just text Knowles, Canada WLAS, to 989898 to claim eligibility before Black Friday. Birch Gold can even help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into an IRA in gold without taking any money out of pocket. Are you still listening? Because you get a free gold bar. It's a big deal. With an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau and thousands of satisfied customers, you can count on Birch Gold to help you transition an existing IRA or 401k into an IRA in gold. Don't let your savings fall victim to the further devaluation of the dollar. Text Knowles, Canada WLAS, to 989898. Receive a free info kit on gold and claim your eligibility before Black Friday to receive free gold bars on your qualifying purchase. That is Knowles, Canada WLAS, to 989898. Speaking of potentially decisive conservative wins, uh, Speaker Mike Johnson has now promised to release 44,000 hours of January 6th footage. So Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats, they had all the January 6th footage, but they realized that it contradicted their 
fraudulent narrative that they had made. The January, sorry, sorry, excuse me. I'm sorry. I misspoke. I meant to say. January 6th, the worst day in the history of this or any republic, the day that democracy almost collapsed. Uh, We were told that it was an insurrection, a near coup d'etat that nearly shredded the Constitution. uh, Democracy just was on the brink of total annihilation. Our sacred temple of democracy, the Capitol was attacked, which wasn't even true. It was just a, a bunch of eccentric people walking through the Capitol compared to the actual leftist attacks on the Capitol that have happened at least half a dozen times in recent decades. Where, where radical leftists set off bombs, started shooting congressmen, that sort of thing, which ha- happened not in the distant past, but just some decades ago. We were told that January 6th, the podium guy, you know, the Nancy Pelosi lectern guy waving at the cameras or the horn hat guy walking through getting a private tour guided by the Capitol Police of the Capitol, that that was the grave threat to democracy. Turned out not to be true. Tucker Carlson was able to release some of the January 6th footage. Now Mike Johnson says he's going to release the rest of it. Brandon Straka had a a good take on this, which is he he tweeted out just a little bit of footage showing a handful of people walking through the Capitol. Again, not tearing things down, not shooting people, not vandalizing anything. There's one guy in particular, he's wearing a red MAGA sweater and he's just, he's just videoing. He's walking very politely. There are Capitol Police there. They're just letting him do it. They don't really, no, no one's Seems all that nervous. Certainly no one seems violent at all. The cops don't seem worried in the least. And they keep walking. There's more cops there. Okay, they're just, they're just walking. Everyone's chilling. Be sitting there, sipping a cup of coffee. No big deal, right? So that guy in the red sweater who's taking the video, his name is Matthew Perna. Sorry, let me rephrase that. His name was Matthew Perna. He was calmly walking through the Capitol, and then he was charged by the left-wing Gestapo. And he was told that he might face six to 12 months in prison uh, if if this thing went to trial. And so he he just pled guilty. He said, okay, I'm going to plead guilty, so I don't need to go to prison for six to 12 months. After he pled guilty, Joe Biden's DOJ informed him that it would seek a terrorism enhancement to his sentencing because... I don't know. Maybe that's the same iPhone that Al-Qaeda uses or something. I don't know what on earth could possibly justify a terrorism enhancement. This happened to a lot of the January 6ers, though. So he was told he would face a terrorism enhancement, which could raise the sentence to a potential nine years in federal prison. But hey, they already tricked him into pleading guilty. So they had him, right? Four days after receiving that news, uh, Matthew went into his garage and put a rope around his neck and hanged himself. Not the only case of, of... total despair coming from this political persecution that was not really grounded in reality. How many lives were ruined for this hoax? Who's responsible for that? Nancy Pelosi, certainly. The Democrats, certainly. Liz Cheney, certainly. Adam Kinzinger, certainly. Them, perhaps more than the others even, because they were fake conservatives, you know, rhinos. They, They were Republicans in name only in the truest sense of that term, meaning that they their entire raison d'etre in, in Washington was to put on a performance as a Republican, but at all the crucial moments, they would side with the Democrats. Whenever it really counted, whenever the Democrats needed some, some semblance of an, of an actual opposition, they would sit on the January 6th committee. But the January 6th committee 
ostensibly investigating what happened on January 6th, actually served the opposite purpose. They covered it up. It was a big hoax. And they, they made sure that as long as they had any power at all, they would keep the tapes that, that showed what really happened on that day that exculpated a lot of people. Uh, they would keep that to themselves. And people died because of that. The only people who died in the political violence and subsequent political persecution of that day were conservatives or were people who felt hounded by the left. The only person who died in the political violence of that day was Ashley Babbitt. She was killed by a trigger-happy cop. She was a Trump supporter. And then how many people killed themselves because of the hounding from the left? So anyway, Mike Johnson is going to release all that. And I think it's really, really important, really, really important that we, in as much as we possibly can, hold these people to account. Because we are told by the left and by the squishes, move on from 2020. Move on. Don't talk about it anymore. This is one of the biggest attacks on Trump. Stop talking about January 6th and stop talking about the 2020 election. How are we going to stop talking about it? We're running again, almost certainly with the same candidate. There are still people who are being prosecuted. There are people who, who have sat in prison for years because of the nonsense of, of the January 6th investigators and prosecutors. And we're, we're probably going to have a rematch of the 2020 election. So if you don't change any of the rigging, if you don't shed some light on the ways that the, the left cheated and, and persecuted people who had the audacity to vote against the ruling party, the Democrats, how are you possibly going to have a fair election in 2024? Can't do it. The only way out is through, okay, guys? You can't just move on and keep your... I guess you, if you want to be like a Liz Cheney, Adam Kinzinger Republican, and you want to just lose with dignity, no dignity involved whatsoever, by the way, then fine. But if you want to be an actual conservative, an actual Republican, you can't just move on. What the left did in 2020 and in the days following 2020 was horrific, was a, a resetting of our political order, and was downright evil in these cases that led to despair and, and death and imprisonment for bogus reasons. You can't just move on from that. You got to fix that if you don't want it to happen again in the future. Speaking of that insurrection, insurrection, a Colorado judge was just tasked with deciding whether or not to kick Donald Trump off the ballot because the left is arguing that Donald Trump is disqualified for, from running again under the 14th Amendment because the 14th Amendment says, if you've ever been a traitor and you've led an insurrection against the country, then you are disqualified from, from public office. And the judge just ruled that that is a ridiculous argument. Of course, it's a ridiculous argument. And, and actually, the way that this judge issued the ruling is particularly devastating for the left-wing case, because this judge is not some Trump appointee. She's not some Republican. She's a left-wing judge. She was appointed by the left-wing Democrat governor of Colorado, and she even believes that January 6th constituted an insurrection. And still, she says, that this argument is ridiculous. She ruled that the insurrection clause of the 14th Amendment does not apply to the presidency. Even though the Capitol riot was a, quote, insurrection and that she believes Trump meant to, quote, incite political violence. I love this. Even some hysterical lib judge in Colorado, which has become super left-wing ever since they legalized the Haitian oregano, 
everyone's just walking around high as a kite all the time, muttering ridiculous lib phrases like insurrection and political violence or whatever. And even still, she says, she, she, she put the bong down long enough. I don't want to accuse her of being a pothead. You know, we're in a new era. Snoop Dogg is giving up weed. I don't want to make some claim based on nothing that this judge is a big pothead. She's a liberal. It's bad enough. And even she acknowledges, even she acknowledges, guys, this 14th Amendment insurrection, it's complete nonsense. You can't keep the man off the ballot for that. And I think what's implicit in all of these cases is the only reason they're trying to keep Trump off the ballot is because they know that if they put him on the ballot, a lot of people, maybe most people, maybe most people in the crucial states are going to vote for him, just like they did in 2016. Very important. And why might people want to reelect Donald Trump? Well, one reason, one big reason for me is that he's the most pro-life president in my lifetime, and he was instrumental and an essential piece of the story of getting Roe v. Wade overruled. And if you're a pro-lifer, you got to check out Preborn. Right now, go to preborn.com slash Knowles. We talk about preborn a lot on this show. It's because we believe in their mission, and we know that you do too. Who would not want to help mothers and their children in crisis? Preborn is an organization dedicated to saving the lives of the unborn. Every day, Preborn's network of clinics rescues 200 babies as they compete head-to-head with the abortion giants. They offer free ultrasounds to mothers considering abortion, and once she sees her baby and hears its heartbeat, she is twice as likely to choose life. It it basically doubles the baby's chance at surviving. And right now, through a matching program, your tax-deductible gift is itself doubled. 100% of your gift will go toward providing free ultrasounds to mothers in crisis, as well as supporting mothers and their babies with diapers, car seats, counseling, and more. Now's the time of the year. Everyone's writing their checks. It's time to get the write-offs. I usually wait until New Year's Eve. Don't be like me. Do it now. Double down today by dialing pound 250 say the keyword baby. That is pound 250 or go to preborn.com slash Knowles, preborn.com slash K-N-O-W-L-E-S. Speaking of legal attacks on liberal strongholds, the Department of Education is now investigating seven schools, seven colleges and universities, including three Ivy League schools for alleged incidents of anti-Semitism and anti-Muslim harassment. Those schools include Lafayette, Wellesley. Isn't Wellesley the school that What's-Her-Face went to, that my cousin Hillary Clinton went to? I think so. Cooper Union and a public school district in Kansas. So not even just the colleges and universities. And then of the Ivy League schools, Columbia, Cornell, and UPenn. Oh, this is obviously a problem at these campuses. I was just at Cornell, and I was at Cornell one week after some kid threatened to murder all the Jews on campus and slit the throats of the Jewish men and do all sorts of unspeakable things to the Jewish women and even was threatening Jewish babies. And it was really, I mean, this is real. I'm not denying that this is real. There are obviously threats and harassment against Jewish students, for sure. And the DOE is trying to be even-handed here, and they're saying, we're going to investigate anti-Islamic incidents too. I haven't seen a ton of those. I haven't heard about a lot of those. But I don't know, maybe those are happening too. I'm not, I'm not going to say that they're certainly not happening. And both of those things certainly should be investigated. And absolutely, I'm, all, I'm fine with the state going after these big bloated schools that are little more than indoctrination centers for leftism. But I got to ask, 
What about the anti-Christian harassment? I'm not denying in any way that there is anti-Jewish harassment. And I'm somewhat skeptical, but I'm willing to grant that there's anti-Islam harassment. What about the anti-Christian harassment? And if you're going to look at this from a racial point, point of view, if you're saying, well, they're attacking the Jews because the Jews are a tribe, or they're attacking the Muslims because they're Arab and there's anti-Arab sentiment, okay, yeah, maybe there is. I, I don't deny any of that. What about the anti-white sentiment, which is pervasive at all of these schools? There's one big distinction between these various types, the anti-Jewish, the anti-Muslim, the anti-Arab versus the anti-Christian and often the anti-white. The big distinction is in the former category, those incidents are kids or townspeople just vandalizing things, I don't know, you know, drawing swastikas, an offhanded comment here or there. In the case of the anti-Christian and anti-white harassment, that's coming from the classrooms, okay? And those incidents are not happening late at night at an off-campus party or through vandalism on a dorm room wall. The anti-Christian and anti-white harassment is coming from the faculty and the administration. It's coming from professors who say that we need to abolish whiteness, that that's a goal worth pursuing. It's coming from the professors in the administration who are decrying Christianity as an awful imperialist religion that's completely bogus anyway, and even if it weren't bogus, has led to all sorts of terrible things through all of human history. That's a big distinction, and I'm opposed to all of it. Yeah, keep that, I love it, keep that investigation up of the anti-Islam even and the anti-Semitism and the, sure, keep all those investigations up. When are we, it's not going to be under the Biden administration, but when are we going to have the political cojones and the correct moral vision and the spine? Let's talk about other anatomical features that are a little closer to the intellect. When are we going to have the courage and the moral clarity to stand up against that? Because that is the kind of harassment that is happening with the official sanction of the universities, the professors and the administrators. Now, speaking of the Jews and the Muslims and the war in the Middle East, the United States is reportedly close to a deal for a at least temporary ceasefire to free some hostages. Uh, this is being reported now in the, in the press, and it's being widely reported that this deal would free dozens of women and children held hostage in Gaza in exchange for a five-day pause in the fighting, uh, say people familiar with the emerging terms. And I actually, I was having a little bit of a debate on this issue with Professor Jacob this morning, because this, I, I assume this was just a good thing. But Professor Jacob said, well, if you have a five-day ceasefire, then Hamas might be able to reconstitute itself. So it's not a totally uncontroversial thing. I still think it's good. I think that's what we want. The reason I think this is good is because the hostages are the key issue here. The hostages, one, I think it's good to free the hostages. I don't want the hostages to be held hostage any longer by Hamas and these other lunatics. But two, the hostages are the key point of escalation here. So long as the hostages are being held in Gaza, the war can't end. And the prospect of escalation, whether that's from Iran, whether that's from Lebanon, whether that's from China and Russia, whether that's from the United States, whether that's from the Houthis in Yemen, whether that's from who knows. We've already got a lot of powers involved in this war. The prospect of escalation is much, much higher. So I'm all for it. I'm not backing necessarily the popular left-wing call for a total ceasefire to say, well, you know, Gaza's been punished enough or something. 
I totally recognize that the state of Israel cannot tolerate the security risk of another October 7th attack, cannot tolerate the security risk of Hamas continuing to rule in Gaza. Totally recognize that. Frankly, if, if Hamas is allowed to continue to govern in Gaza, in the long run, that's probably going to lead to a greater likelihood of war. But if we could get a, a brief ceasefire in exchange for hostages, that seems, I think, good for everybody, but it's certainly good for the U.S. interest. I am all for it. Now, speaking of foreign affairs, speaking of China, China, Xi Jinping was just in our country, and you know they fixed up San Francisco for him. It's amazing. We've been told by the liberal politicians who run San Francisco and California for years that they can't do anything about it. The bums on the streets, the criminals, the vagrants, the people dying of exposure, the druggies. There's nothing that can be done. And then Xi Jinping shows up for, what, two days? And San Francisco all of a sudden is completely better. Can we get Xi Jinping to go on a national tour? Can we bring him to New York and D.C., (laughs) Seattle and Chicago? Oh, man, bring Xi Jinping to Chicago. They'll have that place cleaned up overnight. I'm not a big fan of the Chinese Communist Party, but look, I'm a, I'm a pragmatic fellow. If Xi Jinping taking a brief vacation to one of our cities manages to clean it up after decades of liberal neglect, I'm all for it. Let's go. The other big announcement that came with Xi's arrival here is that China has now launched the world's fastest internet. This is internet with a 1.2 terabit per second link. This is not only blowing the U.S. out of the water on this technology, but it's also years ahead of the forecasts for China getting this technology. The, the Chinese network can now send the equivalent of 150 movies per second. This is three times faster than the nearest rival in the United States, two years earlier than industry forecasts. This has got to be scary stuff. If you are a bellicose American patriot, who doesn't want China to overtake you on the world stage. Because what we do, especially American conservatives, is we lie to ourselves. And we say, oh, those Chinese communists, they're communists. So they've got some economic system that's never going to work. We already beat communism. We won the Cold War. Same thing's going to happen in China. We don't need to worry about it. Forget about it. Oh, things are bad in China, actually. They've got problems. Look, I read about it in Western media. So they've got problems. I'm not worried at all. You, you, You should be somewhat concerned. I I don't ever think anyone should live in servile fear or stay up at night worrying about some foreign country. But you can't just write off China as communist, okay? Yes, Xi Jinping uses communist rhetoric sometimes. But what he describes is socialism with Chinese characteristics. And if you actually go in and read his speeches, there's a lot to them that is fairly conservative. A lot of social conservatism. He's been routing a lot of LGBT propaganda out of his movies, out of his culture. But, but even on economics, if that's the primary way you're looking at politics, Xi Jinping promotes economic liberalization in certain areas when it is serving the national interest. Okay, this guy does not sound like an orthodox, by-the-book Marxist-Leninist. Far from it, okay? In some ways, the guy sounds like a national conservative, actually, okay? And that should give us all a little bit of pause because it means that Xi Jinping is a clever fellow who's going to avoid some of the pitfalls that the Soviet Union fell into. And it, it could lead the United States to a global war. You know, there's this concept promoted by the 
Harvard political scientist Graham Allison called the Thucydides Trap. The notion is that when a rising power challenges a dominant power, the result usually is war, that it seems almost inevitable. Graham Allison has pointed out that three-quarters of the time, of the last major changes to the global order, the last whatever, upwards of 20 changes, in in three-quarters of those cases, war, major war, has been the result. So do we want that? Do we really think that the United States is in a good position to, to wage a global war primarily against China? Is that something that we desire? It's not something I desire, and I'm skeptical about our ability to do it, particularly when China owns the country because they're our main creditor. <laughs> and whenever we want to wage our, our wars of empire around the world, we borrow the money from China, particularly when China manufactures all our stuff, particularly when the biggest American companies who, who, promote, who, who produce the most important American material products talking about companies like Apple, when they, when they do the vast majority of their manufacturing in China, when for some reason American liberals let China into the World Trade Organization and said a rising tide lifts all ships and it's good to see China rise, and then China spent the next 20 years stealing all of our intellectual property. So they got it. They got it. They've got our intellectual property, guys. Do you, you really think now is a great time to wage a war on China? America says that we can't even clean up our cities, can't enforce our border, can't do basic, basic political things. And then Xi Jinping shows up for two days and everything's fixed. That's, that should give us pause. And, and she knows this. She knows that the, the risk of war is pretty high. And he's trying to head it off. Uh, this has not been reported almost anywhere. But she gave a speech to U.S. CEOs. Here's what he said. He said, the number one question for us is, are we adversaries or partners? This is the fundamental and overarching issue. The logic is quite simple. If one sees the other side as a primary competitor, the most consequential geopolitical challenge, and a pacing threat, it will only lead to misinformed policymaking, misguided actions, and unwanted results. China is ready to be a partner and friend of the United States. The fundamental principles that we follow in handling China-U.S. relations are mutual respect, peaceful coexistence, and win-win cooperation. So he's speaking very bluntly. And he's saying, yeah, I read the Thucydides trap essay too. <laughs> and I know, I know that we, we could be headed toward war. And I'm willing to avoid war. But you need to recognize I'm not just some backwater and I'm not just some stupid communist dictator who's headed for the ash heap of history. What we've done in China has been working really, really well. And you guys in the West have been giving up all of your competitive advantages. Not just your material advantages, largely to us, but are your political advantages, your philosophical advantages, and your, certainly your theological advantages, I think is implicit in any sober analysis of the situation. So you, you've forgotten what inspires you. You forgot what made your country great. You forgot what made your civilization great. Now you're a dying civilization, and you're on the decline in virtually every measure. You can't even control your streets. You can't even control your border. And we're on the rise. And... If you want to just keep your head in the sand and deny that until it's too late and go to war, okay, don't blame it on me. That is a, he said it in really nice words, and Xi Jinping is really friendly and smiley, and he's palling around with all his, his Democrat politician buddies in America. But this is a threat. It's, a, it's a, pr a promise, basically, that there will be war if the U.S. doesn't get smart and doesn't get smart fast. My favorite comment, yesterday is from the mob seat. 
who says, imagine having your brain in a haze. Oh, this is, this is with regard to Snoop Diggity Doogity Dog giving up the devil's lettuce. He says, imagine having your brain in a haze and walking out of the fog after 30 plus years. He'll feel like he's on another planet. So true. Although the, the thing is, if he entered into this Mary Jane infused haze 30 years ago, then he's going to come out of it and he's going to look at reality right now and he's going to say, He's going to say, what the hell is going on here? He'll probably say like, what the hizzle is going on with the frizzle, you know, you know, but he'll, he'll, cause he's got to come out of it a little bit. You know, he's not just going to sober up immediately, but, but once he does sober up and he looks around, he's going to say, wait, what? Okay. Get, get past the bong again, please. Because this world is far crazier than any hallucination I ever had back in the early nineties, smoking the sin spinach. By now you've heard the Daily Wire Plus annual memberships are 50-0% off during the Black Friday sale, but there are so many more great deals waiting for you. Check out the Daily Wire Black Friday shopping guide at dailywire.com slash Black Friday. We are making your Black Friday shopping easier than ever with the best deals of the year all in one place. Find the perfect gift for the men on your Black Friday list with up to 40% off Jeremy's Razors, most popular products, including the best-selling men's shaving kits and bundles, like the Alpha Bundle, Precision 5 Kit, and the Founder's Kit. From Jeremy's Chocolates to the all-new Jeremy's Deodorant, start your Black Friday and finish your Black Friday shopping with us this year. Best part is, you can stop giving your money to woke corporations this Black Friday. See all of the best deals of the year inside the Daily Wire gift guide now at dailywire.com slash Black Friday. Speaking of violence... There are new outtakes from the set of that movie that Alec Baldwin worked on where he shot and killed that woman, the cinematographer. And the outtakes seem to show, and they're being promoted by NBC, which obviously is a company that Alec Baldwin has worked for for much of his career. Uh, There are outtakes that seem to show that Baldwin was in fact concerned about some of the safety measures or lack thereof on the set, and that he didn't, he expressed his concern. He didn't want to shoot toward the cinematographer. The cinematographer should not, should, should not have been standing in the line of fire. She should have been probably looking at a monitor off in the other direction. Uh, and forget about the cinematographer for a second, the tragedy that she was killed. There were so many steps along the way, so many uh, safety malfunctions that occurred before Alec Baldwin pulled that trigger. Here he is. And everyone rolling, who doesn't rolling. need to be right here, rolling. like in the path of the gun, could you please move? Just want to be over him a little bit so I can yeah. see. Now, wait a second. If I'm going to shoot right, you want to go on the other side of the camera? I don't want to shoot toward you. So there, you see him. Look, he, the, Alec Baldwin's a total pro, and he's there as an actor, and he's saying, I don't want to shoot towards you, but apparently they continued in this reckless way anyway on the set. And here's a really unpopular opinion. This is going to be Unpopular Opinion Monday here. It's not Baldwin's fault. Alec Baldwin is not responsible for the shooting on the Rust set. I know instantly what people are going to say is, if you have a a firearm, it is always your responsibility what happens with that firearm. If you have a firearm and you're pointing it at someone, then you need to be ready to kill that person. You You have to be ready to destroy whatever you're pointing at. That's basic firearm safety 101. And that's all true. But that's not movie making 101. Movie making If you're using a gun in a movie, it almost always involves you pointing it and shooting it at somebody. It is not comparable. The the rules and regulations you would follow at a gun range or for any 
person in regular life using a firearm. It is not comparable to the way that actors use firearms in movies. And Alec Baldwin here is an actor. The people who are responsible, primarily it's the armorer, the the weapons master on the set, who was some clueless young girl who obviously didn't know what she's doing, and the result is that a woman's now dead. The second person responsible would be the first AD, the first assistant director who goes, gets the weapon, should also be checking to make sure that it's not loaded at all, hands it to the actor. The third group responsible, I guess, would be the producers and the crew on set. And technically, Alec Baldwin is a producer here, but it's it's only a technicality. He's a producer as a common financial workaround for how to pay his acting contract, but he's not the, he's not actually a producer in the way that in the way that producers produce films. He's an actor primarily in the movie, and everyone's going after him because he's a jerk and nobody likes him. And I know. But I, this is my unpopular view. Throw tomatoes at me. I'm here to tell you the truth. I'm not here to pander to you, okay? They're going after Alec Baldwin because he's an easy target. Because he is a rich, famous, straight white guy who has a legendary temper and he's just easy to attack. And it's a lot easier to put the blame on him than on this clueless armorer whose fault it actually is. But if, if he were just an unknown actor, very few people would actually be blaming him for this. I got to listen. Don't ever accuse me of just carrying water or reciting talking points, guys. I'm defending Alec Baldwin, who is a very unlikable liberal. But in this case, it's the way it is. It's the way it goes. Speaking of controversial entertainers, Kanye has a new song. This is his first song ever since the uh, eccentric, shall we say, uh, display that he made what was it, about a year ago on the Alex Jones show and with the face mask and the the Yahoo, the net and Yahoo and where he was going after the Jews and all that. You remember that thing? So anyway, he's got a new song out. Here is the song. And no, I didn't put that drop in there. That drop is in the record already. Man, they all fine, running hooligans, and we with the It's not Beethoven's nine, you know, I just, Jewish, I just school this, can we ran up like a lift, just got pregnant in the threes, so whose baby is it? Whose baby is it? My putting belt that pull up with the switch. Okay, you know, I think this will be more actually productive if I just read the lyrics. This is not, I don't, look, I'm not really even knocking I am knocking the music, I guess, but it's it's not for me. This is not. I'm not. I'm not a big fan of hip hop or rap or most music made in the last seventy or eighty years. Uh, I've liked some of Kanye's music in the past. I like that song that he wrote with Paul McCartney, "Only One." I thought that was pretty good. I've often thought Kanye is a pretty good uh, has a pretty good ear, so he hears good songs that he then samples and raps over. And I don't love the rapping, but I like you know, like "Jesus Walks" is a great example. That's like Jesus. You know, and then that's a good song. And then he raps over it and makes it popular. So, okay. Uh, this song is with um, Ty Dolla Sign and Lil Dirk, whoever they are. And here are the lyrics. Three gang leaders with me all times. I don't know who I effed last night. I got Alzheimer's. I don't know who them hoes is, man. They all lying, Brody. Tell me who them hoes is, man. They all fine, running hooligan. And we with the foolishness. How, I, how I'm anti-Semitic, I just effed a Jewish B-I-T-C-H. I just effed Scooter Braun, the, the big celebrity manager, uh, B-I-T-C-H, and we ran up like Olympics, got pregnant in the threesome. Whose baby is it? 
Whose baby is it? My ninjas, he doesn't say ninjas, but it's a word that I'm not allowed to say because I'm a white fellow, uh, put in belt to AWS, pull up with the switches. This ain't Jimmy Butler, but the heat got extensions. This ain't Columbine, but we came in with the trenches, I assume trench coat. She asking me to aim for, this is a, this is a little tawdry, this lyric, more so even than the others. She asking me to aim for her neck because her boyfriend bought that necklace with the trenches, precious, with the trenches, effort. I scratched another ninja woman up off my checklist. Okay, why do I read any of this? This is a song about revenge. Kanye is singing. There's, there are other verses with other rappers in it, but this is his verse. And he's singing about revenge. I don't know who I effed. I got Alzheimer's. You can't say that I don't like Jews. I just effed one of those Jews. And I just effed this other guy's girlfriend. And I just, I, I disrespected him and a gift that he had given her. Yeah, I'm just, it's not even about her. It's about him. And I'm just getting back at him and I'm getting back at Scooter Braun and I'm getting back at the Jews and I'm getting back at this guy and I'm getting back at that guy and I'm just effing everybody. And I'm hitting people and I'm, I'm like, I'm like the shooters at Columbine. I'm dressing up in trench coats like them. It's all about revenge. And it's about revenge, presumably because Kanye got canceled and he lost a ton of money and Adidas canceled him and He'll probably bounce back to some degree because the guy just seems to be made of Teflon even after his uh, rather elaborate uh, breakdown last year. But it's the revenge to me that's the key because he made another album not that long ago called Jesus is King that was actually somewhat beautiful by the standards of modern pop music. I think there was a song on there, Water. We are water like a newborn daughter. And... um, a friend of mine actually wrote part of the bridge to that song. Actually, ironically, my a Jewish friend of mine wrote part of the bridge to that song. But the whole album was just about how Jesus is king and we should all be Christian and worship God and be good. And uh, uh, rumored uh, during the making of that album was Kanye's demand that nobody engage in fornication. And he was trying to save his marriage. And a lot of people go crazy after a divorce. And But he, he really seemed to be aiming at virtue. And then here in this new song, as first we've heard from him in, in over a year, or about a year at least, it's all just about getting back at people and doing nasty things and fornicating and hitting people and, you know, and vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, and I will repay. And, and so it, it, I, I feel for the guy in that it's very easy to to fall into vice and to to enjoy the notion of revenge against people you think have wronged you, but it's not the right way. If you compare this song to the Jesus is King album, Jesus is King album is much better. And Kanye was probably in a much better place when he was doing that album. Okay, the rest of the show continues now. You don't want to miss it. Become a member. Use code Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S, at checkout for two months free on all annual plans.